I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, the Rays nearly made history, needing just three outs to be the first team to combine for a perfect game, but they fell a little short of that, but still beat the Orioles 4-1 to take three out of four in that series. Ryan Stanek. And Ryan Yarbrough did not allow a base runner until the ninth inning. It's only been 23 perfect games in Major League history, but Hanser Alberto ruined that with a single through the infield shift to right field to start the ninth. Will the Rays make a move before their series with the Yankees that begins tonight? Maybe we'll talk about that. Buster only had some things to say on ESPN about the Rays and their trade desires. And the NFL seems to be serious this time about getting players to agree to an 18-game schedule. We'll tell you what's behind that and whether the players should go for it this time. And it was the longest men's singles championship in Wimbledon history and arguably maybe the best. I watched almost all four hours and 55 minutes of it. Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic go five sets. Joker wins in a 12-12 tiebreaker, the first in tournament history. In fact, he won all his uh, three sets in tiebreakers. Federer had double match point. Djokovic broke through that, and then he fights off to win his 16th major title and his third Wimbledon win over Federer. We've got a lot to talk about all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to be a sponsor to this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are showing great success, and you will too. Now, here's what you do. For more information, just contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be part of our team. Okay, so, Steve, I was uh, in between watching the game on TV and then listening mostly on the radio, and it did not dawn on me because you had to listen to Dave Wills carefully <laughs> – to know that there was a perfect game going. They didn't want to jinx anybody, of course, on the radio. Uh, so they just kept talking about, well, that's that's 16 retired in a row, and that's 18 retired in a row. And then it dawned on me that they got to the ninth inning. It's like, wait a minute. Has anybody reached base yet for the Orioles? And the answer was no, they hadn't. Even Ryan Yarbrough wasn't sure uh, until I guess he heard some chatter from the fans, I guess, uh, before one of the innings. But Man, they came so close to doing something that has never been done in baseball history, and it was a remarkable performance anyway. Uh, but can you imagine uh, being in that position, needing three outs, just three outs to throw a perfect game, a combined perfect game? There's only been 23 in Major League history. That would have really been something. Well, that's the amazing thing is how few there have been. I mean, you, you talk about all the great feats in baseball, and you know, there's a lot of you know, the numbers are in the hundreds of some of the, the best feats, but perfect games has only been 23 and really 21 since they changed the rules back around 1893. I know you were around mm -hmm. back then, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. There was two prior to that where the mound was like 45 feet away and there was only three <laughs> balls for a walk and it, it was very different, but so 21 and what's the modern era of baseball. Uh, there hadn't been one actually since 2012, which actually was King Felix of the Mariners against the Rays was against the last perfect the game. So, mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's you know, you think about it from you know that there's never been a combined perfect game is pretty cool. Obviously, the opener is only a year old at this point, so Stanek had opened for two innings and then Yarborough. But an impressive performance. Um, 
you like what they brought and, and you like how for the most part they saved the bullpen for the Yankees series at this point. So you had to bring in a couple guys in the ninth, Oliver Drake and then Emilio Pagan to close it out as a couple yeah. of guys got on. But for the most part it, it helps them set up for this big series against the Yankees coming up. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it was important for him to get off to a good start. Of course, the Orioles are not having a good season, to say, to put it mildly. They they win three out of four. Probably could have swept them, uh, Steve. I mean, they, they had a really good pitching performance um, again, you know, in the first game of that doubleheader um, that, that, quite frankly, I thought they were going to win one to nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they should have won that game. I mean, when you only score one run, it's hard to, hard to throw shutouts. I mean, you, yeah. it doesn't happen that often. I mean, you know, as a team shutout, you get a few of those a year. Um, so you, you take three or four. You, you should have had four or four, but three out of four, you'll take that every time on the road. And one more thing about the perfect game, too, and it was interesting because with pitch counts today and stuff, it gets interesting as you have no hitters and perfect games and players going for things. Had uh, Brasso not hit the two-run home run to make it 4 nothing. Mm-hmm. You wonder how long he would have gone with Yarborough. That's a good if point. If it's a two nothing game, would Yarborough have gone all the way to the ninth inning? You know, I think maybe around the seventh or eighth inning, they may have taken him out to put in Pagan or somebody else out of the bullpen. Do you think that to protect the, the outcome? Nothing, though, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. and had they got the perfect game, it would have been an interesting question. You know, if it was only two nothing, would Yarborough mm-hmm. have stayed in? I mean. It wasn't right. his perfect game completely, so it's not like no, it's, you're pulling right. someone who's you know throwing from start to finish perfect game. But yeah, know, it doesn't matter now. But you know, at two nothing game, you wondered if they would have stayed with Yarbrough that long. A lot of people are gonna you know uh, mention the fact that you know had had the Rays been playing a traditional defense and not in the shift that that's just a routine ground ball to the second baseman, and it, it pr- probably would have been an out. Oh, there was a um, lot of people on Twitter complaining about that. But but you have, and I think that Kevin Cash addressed it the right way. You know, nobody really in their minds charts all the outs of of balls that are hit into the shift, right? Not away from the shift, but mm-hmm. you know, second basemen that are or shortstops that are standing over the bag at second when the guy laces one up the middle. You know, that used to be the approach that hitters would take. Mm-hmm. Um, you were always told, you know, try to hit the ball back through the middle, and it keeps you to stay on the ball. And then, you know, traditionally there was no defense for that. Well, you know. You, you, you tend to forget all the balls that are hit hard to the outfield. Uh, outfielders are positioned the right way. Infielders are positioned the right way. And nothing is 100%, obviously. But baseball has changed to the degree that they benefit more from the shifts than they have what happened to them in the ninth inning. So Well, it's earlier in like the game, I can over... think of three or four plays where the shift Absolutely. got them out. That they would Absolutely. have been hits earlier in the game had they not shifted. So, I mean, you live by yeah. the shift, you die by the shift. But That's right. You know, look. The Rays are an analytical team. If the shift didn't work, mm-hmm. they wouldn't do it. That's right. If they're not seeing and a benefit from it, it doesn't mean it works every time because sometimes hitters will hit opposite the shift. But right, you know, if, uh, if, still if, they, were, if they were costing them more outs than it was getting them, the Rays wouldn't do it anymore. Right. It's still remarkable they they you know got went into the ninth inning with this uh, this opportunity. Um, but when you think about you know perfect games and and you mentioned twenty one in the in the modern sort of day era. But you wonder if it's like, not that it's going to be, it's never easy. It's never going to become easier necessarily. But for a hitter, um, you're seeing a lot more strikeouts, right? Fewer balls in play. You are seeing a lot more home runs. So there's there's a lot of questions about the baseball, you know, itself. Obviously, Justin Verlander and others have brought that up. 
but you know, with the shifts, uh, the defenses are positioned more statistically to to create outs, you know, in the game. So, you know, you, you wonder if if you won't see you know more bids for this. They're not not so much the perfecto because let's face it, you can't have an error, you can't have a walk. You you know you you're gonna try mm-hmm. to face 27 batters, which is the rarest thing of all. But I'm I'm almost surprised there haven't been more no hitters in this era of specialization. You know. Um, you know, the other part of that, though, is that if a guy's out there in a traditional starter, you know, the pitch count being whatever it is, is, is a manager going to take a guy out in the eighth inning that's got a no-hitter? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that becomes a hard, a hard sell, too, sometimes. So it was, uh, you know, and, and the other thing I liked about it is that, you know, Ryan Yarbrough is, is an old-school type pitcher. I mean, he, you know, you see so much velocity in the game and so much about the game now is about, you know, hit velocity, you know, velocity off the bat, velocity from all these power arms. I mean, it's been the biggest change in baseball that I've ever seen in my lifetime is the number of guys that go out there and throw mid to upper 90s. It's just incredible. And you're seeing it at younger and younger ages too all the way. So there's a big emphasis now on, you know, on velocity. But but Yarborough um, sort of has a kind of a, kind of a unique release point, you know. Uh, he hides the ball pretty well. He gets movement. Um, but he's not a hard thrower. You know, he may eclipse 90 or hit 90 once in a while, um, but this guy is a true, you know, a true pitcher. I mean, he moves the ball around up and down in the strike zone, in and out, um, throws, you know, a lot of, you know, different pitches, change up, breaking ball, all that. Uh, and so he, he throws to spots. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, if you hide the ball properly, uh, it can get on you quick. And, and I think that's the case with, with Yarbrough. He gets away with mm-hmm. not throwing in the mid '90s, so what was cool about it was you had Stanek, who just is going to reach back and throw as hard as he can for two innings, uh, and and that that certainly works for him, and it did, you know, it did on Sunday, and then and then you bring in a guy like Garbarol, and that's you know that's what makes it difficult for for a lineup to adjust. I mean, you're the first time up, you're seeing a power pitcher, and then the next couple you know times through the lineup, maybe you don't get through it three times, or maybe just two times, because statistically, you know, usually the the batting average go up if you let a hitter see the same pitcher three times, um, you know, and then Yarbrough goes out there and just, just does a great job of just pitching, you know, and, and creating contact and weak contact and, uh, and swing and miss and stuff like that. So I thought it was cool that, you know, this wasn't, you know, wasn't Blake Snell who you might expect that from, you know, wasn't Charlie Morton who's had no hit stuff this year, um, you know, certainly. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was two guys – um, you know the the opener obviously and, and Yarbrough that uh, that managed to go into the ninth inning and and again the Baltimore if you were going to pick a team that that might you know have a perfecto against them this year it might be the Orioles I mean there was a time when anytime somebody threw a no hitter it seemed like it was the Rays right um, but uh, but this was this was this was a good series for them too because I think some of their bats came alive that needed to I mean we mentioned. Um, you know, Austin Meadows finally hit a home run. What's it been since May, I think, since this guy hit a home run? It's been forever. Yeah, 140-some-odd at-bats he had gone without hitting a home run, and he crushed it onto Utah Street. Oh, he did. It was a no-doubter. Even though and, they said it was so, only 405 feet. but Yeah, there's no way. I've been out there. That's, yeah. It's a lot longer than – you've been on Utah Street. It's a lot you know, longer than 400-and-something feet. Um, so, so that was cool. Uh, but one then, one point uh, you brought up about why you're surprised there's not more perf- perfect bids and, and yeah, I, I in this age of you know yeah you got the strikeouts and stuff but in in the age of pitch counts and analytics more hitters are working deeper counts, which is getting pitchers yeah. out of the games and it's it's you're seeing more pitches waiting for that pitcher to make a mistake. Yeah, 
You know, and that's one of the things Yarbrough did really well today. And and some credit to the Orioles too in the ninth inning. But Yarbrough only had two three count three ball counts, I believe, in right. his you know six plus innings of work. But in mm-hmm. the ninth inning, so he was getting ahead of hitters. In the ninth inning, the first two batters came up and swung at the first pitch and got hits. They adjusted yeah. in that ninth inning to break up the perfect game, something they hadn't mm-hmm. really been doing all day, as he was getting ahead of hitters because he was pitching so well. And, and they finally came out swinging in the ninth. Yeah, and they got those hits on them, but but I think you know the, the bid for no hitters and perfect games. I think part of the things is, you know, the more pitches a hitter sees, the bigger chance you have to make a mistake. And the hitters are, are working longer counts, one with the goal of getting the pitcher out of the game, yeah, and, and two to well, try to, to get your pitch. But you know th- that velocity philosophy seems to go back and forth. It has even with the Rays. You know, there was a time when they were all about trying to get the pitch counts up. But I think sometimes at the detriment of the hitters. Now it seems the more the more I hear about these guys' approaches, it's like um, first of all, no one's trying just just to make contact with two strikes. I mean, it's it's almost sacrilege if you know it used to be. Hey, you know, if you have to choke up on the bat, you know, mm-hmm. hit the put the ball in place somewhere with two strikes, protect the plate. No, 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 no. They want you up there taking a, a the biggest rip you can, and so it's almost like the approach is. Hey, try to find a pitch you can absolutely drive and swing as hard as you can, and whether you got two strikes on you or not. Um, so you you obviously want to count in your favor. You know you want to be two zero, two one, three one, that kind of that kind of thing. So it helps you um, predict and and maybe you know be more selective about the pitch you're going to try to drive out of the ballpark. But I'll tell you what, man. I mean these guys are all over the place with, uh, uh, you know, do, do do you work the do you work the the pitcher and try to make him. You know, eat up some pitches at at the risk of taking balls that you could be hitting. You know, potentially out of the park, or do you just go up there hacking? And I think it varies from team to team, player to player, maybe even year to year. Um, I know it has with the Rays. It's funny. I was in Chicago um, on this last vacation, and a lot of a lot of the things. I mean, if you can believe it, I mean, Joe Madden. You know, of course, he's four and a half years into a five year deal that they have not announced they're going to renew. Um, and so, you know, they went like 22 and 28 to end the first half, but they played like 50 games in 50 days. And so they were a tired ball club. So there's a lot of talk about Madden and whether, you know, whether he should go or stay, uh, and that sort of thing. But one of the things he wanted them to do, and, and he did this in Tampa Bay for a while, um, until they got a, a different, you know, batting coach for a while. But the thing he wanted them to do is work counts. You know, their guys were going up there trying to launch everything, whether it was Baez or, you know, Chris Bryant or whoever, uh, was was you know looking to hit home runs and they weren't accepting their walks and so Joe going into the second half was big about hey we just need to work at bats accept our walks you know keep the train moving keep the conga line going you've heard all the Joeisms that are being used up there in Chicago right now but you know what they started doing that a little bit now I you know the game I saw Chris Archer threw maybe the best game he's thrown in two years uh, and really had them you know kind of. Uh, with one hit or two hits through like six innings or so, he ended up not getting the loss. But you know they did win that game four to three. But it's it's funny how you know that will work if if you've got the whole team doing it. If everybody's willing to go up there and be selective and um, and, and and hand it off to the next guy. But you know there's such an emphasis on these guys and their numbers and and you know when you've got a ball club that's got power hitters that want to launch. It's sometimes hard to get them to be patient and you know and make pitchers work and hand it off to the next guy, and as Joe says, accept your walk. So yeah, it's it is interesting that way because I think you make a good point that that it's hard for a pitcher to go nine innings 
eight innings. I mean, you know, who's going to be throwing a no hitter that's somewhere in the vicinity of 100, 110, 118 pitches? He'd have to be really almost pitching to contact. And with the number of strikeouts uh, that's in the game, you know, you're throwing more pitches if you're striking. You know, almost every game you look at these days, Steve, there are at least 10 strikeouts on each team. Every game. You know, I define you to find a game, defy you to find a game where both teams haven't struck out 10 times. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of the last time that I would have even like been going, "Hey, they really haven't got a lot of strikeouts." Cause I know. Just I mean, so they're giving away. Yeah, they give. I mean, the promotions are right. Ten strikeout. Was it free taco or whatever? Yeah, a lot of times um, they have that by the sixth or seventh inning. I mean, <laughs> I know it's it's nothing. It really. I mean, go to a game and see if you don't have ten strikeouts uh, in, in that game. It'll be rare by either team. I mean, both teams always end up with ten and ten plus, and sometimes you know it can be it can be you know in the teens easily. So that's that's a big thing that's changed. But it was a really, really interesting game for the Rays and a big weekend. And, and I, Are you into I the wanted... jinx? Like, you can't talk about it? Because we were getting in a debate of this today at the Rays watch party. No, I'm not. I Look, I, I believe that you don't talk about it in the dugout. This idea of announcers not saying it, I don't, I don't get. With all due respect to Dave Wills and Andy Free to do a great mm-hmm. job, and they're they're baseball purists, so they don't, you know, they also work for the Rays. So, but... I'm telling you, I, I might be the biggest dolt in the world, but I, I watched part of this game on TV, then got in my car and listened to part of it on the radio, and I was unaware, even though you know Dave was constantly, I guess, saying you know, that's 16 in a row or 18 in a row, whatever it is, and that should have resonated. I don't, I don't understand why you just don't tell people if you're, if you're broadcasting it, hey, they got a no-hitter going. You know, hey, it's a perfect game. They haven't allowed a base runner you know, up till. I mean, is that really going to make – is that going that, – that's just like the jinx thing, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I put – I'm the guy. I'm the guy that blew the no-hitter, not not the guy that threw the pitch or the guy that swung the bat. But it was my fault that I mentioned it. Well, when, when it know, was broken but, up today, there were several people, oh, my buddy just texted me they were pitching a perfect game, and now it's – you know, <laughs> no. now, now they got the hit. And Because somebody always says that, right? Somebody's always going to say, hey, you know he's got a no-hitter. I mean, that the, there's talk in the dugout about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't say it necessarily. You don't want to put it in the pitcher's mind. Right. But even Yarbrough said, and I don't know whether to believe him or not. There's no reason to think he's he's lying. But even he said, he goes, you know, I really wasn't tuned into it till about the seventh inning or eighth inning when there was some chatter about, you know, from the actual fans mm-hmm. yelling at him, hey, don't blow it. <laughs> you know, so um, kind of kind trying to jinx him, right, trying to say yep. something to the, to the raised pitcher. So – I don't know. Is it a thought you can put into the pitcher's head, I suppose? But they get these big scoreboards now yeah. that they pay millions and millions of dollars, and they keep track of those things pretty good, and it big lights up there under, under the H that says zero. So you can look out there at any point, and players do look at the scoreboard, mm-hmm. and you can see very clearly that there are no hits you know, on one side of the board. So you I, know, Now, whether they realized it was a perfect game, that sure. might have, that, that's a little different. I tell a story from this – practically 20 years ago now and I was in Cincinnati and a buddy of mine went to the game we're just sitting up in the upper deck drinking some beers watching the game and it's the seventh or eighth inning I don't I don't remember the exact specifics but he's like let's go mm-hmm. let's go we'll go to the bar down the street and grab a beer and watch the end of the game I'm like no I want to stay man he's like no let's go and I'm like dude I want to stay and he keeps pestering me I'm like I want to stay and he kept going come on I mean because we would do this all the time and we'd you know just you know leave whenever we felt like it and I'm like Look at the scoreboard. He's like, yeah, it's, it's one nothing, two nothing, whatever it was. It was a close game, right? And, and the Reds were losing, but it was like two, one or two nothing. And he's like, yeah, it's one nothing or two nothing. And I'm like, dude, look at the scoreboard. He's like, yeah, I told you the score. I said, look at the next column over. And he goes, Randy Johnson's throwing a no hitter. 
<laughs> the next batter hit. Crack. I was like, okay, now yeah, we can go. <laughs> but he had no, exactly. I mean, we're, we're sitting there watching the game and, you know, talking about whatever. And I knew it, but he, the whole game, he had no idea. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's amazing how you can go to a game and not realize that. But I mean, if somebody's just mowing people down, you know, mm-hmm. um, before, before long, it's a fifth or sixth inning. You know, the AP, um, when they used to have the old wire services, and they, I guess they, they still do this now, it would be called Twitter, right? They mm-hmm. do it on Twitter now. But they used to put out, like, you know, bulletins, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. And I guess they still do on Twitter, but so-and-so has a no-hitter through six, through seven, through my eight. Fo- you know, my phone every every inning today from MLB, CBS, ESPN, yeah. perfect game for the Rays through six innings, through seven, through eight. They all put it out. That's right. So, I mean, is that jinxing it? No, but it's alerting people that you probably want to flip over if you have a chance to watch history, you know. Mm-hmm. So. It's pretty cool. Um, it would have been a neat thing to do. I mean, you know, first time ever. But it it, uh, it also, you know, sh- I mean, it shows that this this idea of the opener is still successful. The Rays pitching has been extremely good. Now, I, before we move on uh, to talk a little bit about the NFL and some things, um, Buster Olney, I was watching the Yankees, or I'm sorry, the uh, Red Sox-Dodgers game on Sunday Night Baseball, which was weird because, like, they got A-Rod, you know, and those guys doing the game from, from the Monster. From the over the green wall looks so weird, and I can just imagine you know Boston fans really really happy to see a Rod and and I'm sure yelling <laughs> yeah but yelling Jennifer Lopez was right nice. behind them so they were okay well yeah yeah they're okay with that um, so it, that that was the first thing but Buster Olney was reporting that of all the teams right now and there's a lot of talk you know trade talk going on out there he says the team that is the most serious the most active. Uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said here, but he said the one that is most likely to, to make uh, pro- that other teams think will make a pretty big deal and, and give up some prospects or what do they have to do is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know, we know they were in it at one point for Craig Kimbrell, who's, you know, now in Chicago as their closer. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. And, and a lot of people have talked about this, Steve. I don't know how you feel about it, but like, you know, Mark Top- Topkin has written about it and talked to us about it. You know, is this Yankee series – is this the telltale series? In other words, um, they're going into it, you know, tonight, and as we're doing this podcast, they haven't made any deals. Are they going to wait and see how they come out of this series before they decide whether to go for it or not? Because clearly they're in a good position for the wild card. Now six games out, you know, if they split with the Yankees, and that would be the Yankees' goal, right, don't allow the, the you know, the Rays to gain any ground on them. Um, you know, if they come out of it with six, are they out of the AL East at that point? No. Um, but you know, if, if they were to get swept or something like that, and they're running out of games with New York, then you could say, well, what if you know, what if you come out of it and you're ten out? You know, does that does that change, you know, your your perspective and your philosophy? I think the goal should be, you know, make the playoffs. I mean, you're you're in a prime position to at least get in the postseason, which you haven't done for a number of years now, and it's probably going to take you anywhere from ninety two to ninety, who knows, ninety five wins or something like that. So. If they're gonna make it, if they're gonna make a deal like like now would be the time to do it, right? Because I don't know what they could bol- what they could you know pull off in order to bolster their chances in this series, since this series is upon us. But it's possible that you could get somebody in here, you know, before before it's over. And you know, going forward, I mean, we know they're gonna have to shore up the back part of that bullpen. We saw them blow. It's hard to say you blew a game. You only had a one to nothing lead, but the bullpen let them down again, even against the Orioles. So. I think they're going to have to do something, and at least, at least as far as Buster Olney was was concerned, and what he was hearing from other teams in in Major League Baseball was 
man, the Rays are really serious about doing something. I think that's a good sign. Oh, it's a great sign. But there's a couple things at play here. One, there's only six or seven teams that are out of it right now. I mean, if you look at the National League, every team in the National League, with the exception of the Marlins, is within six games of the wild card. That's incredible that 14 out of the 15 teams are within six games of the playoffs at this point. That is something. Now, the yeah. Mets are six games out, and they have to leapfrog how many teams in front of them to get there. Sure. So it's not like just making up six games on one team. In the American mm-hmm. League, you've got five or six. You know, Seattle, Toronto, Kansas City, Detroit, and Baltimore are all 15 and a half out or more from the wild card. White Sox are eight and a half out. So you've got, like I said, there's, six, well, there's only six to seven teams right now that are not in it. And how many players on those teams do you want? There's not a lot of good ones that, that they're willing to give. I mean, you know, Toronto's not giving up Vlad Guerrero Jr. And, you know, younger guys with a lot of control. So sure. I, I think the trade market right now is slow. I mean, so you saw Homer Bailey traded today from Kansas City to Oakland. I did you see saw that, uh, the Red Sox get Kashner from the, the Orioles, both number five starters. I mean, you right, haven't seen right. deals for anybody yet because there's not a lot of teams out of it. Now, over the next two to three weeks – we're going to learn a lot of, and, and teams are going to evaluate, are we buyers or sellers? Yeah. And some of those fringe true. teams are probably going to start to fall off a little bit here. Yeah. The, the other part of this, and this is part of the, the, the baseball system, but the Rays have to decide, you know, look, the Rays are in it and they're going to make some moves. But are you playing for the AL East, which you might go bigger and bolder for moves? Or if you believe that you've only got a shot at the wild card? That's a one-game playoff. How much are you willing to mortgage the future for a one-game playoff? Right. Prospect-wise and things like that that you would give up. Knowing that your team is probably set up better for next year in the playoffs than this year. When you look at pretty much everyone's coming back and you're going to get, you know, hopefully Brett Honeywell back and Anthony Bonda back and a lot of these young guys are going to have more experience. You know, your team is set up not just for this year to win, too. So you have to balance that. And like I said, I believe the Rays will make moves. Are they going to be the big splashy ones and give up a lot of prospects for? I, I, I think this Yankee series, it's not the, the tell-all for me. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you come out of the series, if you, you lose three or four and you're now eight games back of the Yankees. Yeah. Or it, you get swept and you're ten back. That may change the, the level of mm-hmm. prospect you're willing right. to trade, right? I mean, but but you point. get the two wins there because you know, like I said, with baseball, because that the, the two the wild card is a one game playoff. I mean, in one game, anything can happen. You know, you don't even you know how much are you going to mortgage trying to get to one game? You know, we were talking today, and I mentioned, you know, and it like I said, anything can happen. So I, I believe the Rays will make moves, and I believe they want to make the playoffs and will do everything they can. It's just a matter of how much of a price they're willing to pay. But in the NHL this year. And we talked about this. The Lightning mm-hmm. were so head and shoulders above everybody that with the exception of Columbus and the Eastern Conference, all the top teams made little deals. They didn't, they didn't mortgage their future. Right. For, now, it turns out the Lightning got swept out in the first four games. And, and then, By you a know, team that made a lot of deals. Well, exactly. But you know, a lot of those teams went, eh, this ain't the year we're going to go put all our chips in. I mean, they, you know, mm-hmm. Boston traded for a coil a center and Washington made a small trade. And I mean, they added some pieces, but they didn't, nobody made that big, the Western conference was making the splash moves in, in, right. at the trade deadline this past year. So the question is for the Rays is how big of a splash do they want to make? Because what do they think their chances are? Now you get into a one game playoff. I like the race chances because they're pitching. I mean, 
we talk about the bullpen, and Neil Solon's kept bringing this up today, and the more he, he brings it up, the more it makes a lot of sense, too, is that everyone says the bullpen needs help for the Rays, and, and it's a problem. They've still given up the least amount of runs in baseball. And, and it's not uh, – the Dodgers are pretty close to them. They've given up about 15 less runs than the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are still playing now as we take this, so it's going to be about 20 less runs. But offensively, they're like 22nd. Yeah. And with runners in scoring position, they're not very good. That It may be better to add a bat than a bullpen if you're going to only add one piece. It could if you can only add one piece. I, I think that, the, you know, and it's true. Like The strength of this team is their pitching, and, and you just you know mentioned the numbers to prove it. The only thing you don't have is a guy who's been there, done mm-hmm. that sort of thing at the end of the rotate, at the back end. Like, who's going to get the final three outs in a big game, mm-hmm. in a two to one game against the Yankees, which I know they won two to one the last time they played them. And, you know, Emilio Pagan got the last three outs. But do you have, can you but find playoff pressure is different than yeah, game when you're in a pennant pressure. race? Yeah, when you're in a pennant race and, you know, you're in September and it's a big series against uh, a team that's fighting for that wild card and you need those three outs. They don't have that mm-hmm. guy. They don't have a guy who has been in those situations that knows how to navigate them. Um, you know, and I, I th- hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think, that's, I think that's huge. So while I would agree with you that, you know, the pitching, you know, if you look at this team, you know, from a macro uh, standpoint, like pitching is their strength. It, it, and you're right, they don't mm-hmm. hit. To that point, maybe the big move they could make, or one of the bigger moves they could make, and they have to they have to decide this, is do you keep um, Nate Lowe on the roster because he's starting to hit the ball with power uh, to all fields, and what uh, what do you do with G Man Choi when he comes back? I mean, it has has Lowe played himself now back onto this baseball team, you know, for for the for the remainder of the year. That's an interesting question. With Matt Duffy set to come off the disabled list or injured list this week, most likely. And you need a 40-man spot for him. It's not yeah. just a 25-man spot. You need a 40-man spot. Could G-Man Choi be designated for assignment? I think he could be. I mean, he's not look, your long-term plans. He's not your long-term plans. He he has surprised a little bit at first. It's not like you're getting a better first baseman, uh, you know, in Nate Lowe. Mm-hmm. But, but you've got a younger player that probably, you know, has, has – Here's the way I look at it. When, when you have a guy that dominates at, at AAA and he's had that sort of that sort of success down there, you know, when mm-hmm. he's been gone back and forth, there's not much he can gain. You want him to play a lot. That's why he's there. That's why you move him back to Durham. You have options. You move him back because you want him to play every day. But if he's not going to get any better by playing in Durham, mm-hmm. then you then you might as well keep him on the big league club because mm-hmm. he's going to help you and has helped them in this series against Baltimore and other times he's been up here. Yep. You know, when he came up the first time, he, he hit the ball, he didn't hit with power. Now he's starting to, to drive it to all fields. And, you know, that bat you're talking about, you know, he you know could could make the difference. And I know, again, it was the Orioles pitching. They had the 2-1 to one game, uh, you know, in the first game of the doubleheader mm-hmm. that one night afternoon. But other than that, I mean, the you know, the Rays have come out and, you know, they of course they bashed their way to a win the first game back from the break. But you know they're they're scoring some runs. They're scoring you know 
probably about eight runs a game. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's against Baltimore. But Lowe has been part of that. And I just, you know, G-Man's not going to give you anything defensively. He's, he's surprised a little bit. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think they have to really consider maybe, you know, maybe keeping him up there and maybe saying goodbye to G-Man. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. Uh, you know, no. with Matt Duffy coming back with mm-hmm. – and, and quite frankly, if you're going to deal for a big bat, if that's something in their, their mindset. And I agree with you on the – they do need bullpen help, yes. And, and and I don't I don't think just it's on the back be one. end, but yeah. but the more Neil was talking about it, the more it's yeah they probably do need a bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to trade for a big bat, it's probably going to I mean, you're going to trade for an outfielder. You're going to no. take out Meadows, Fam, Kiermaier, no. and Garcia. No, he has to be a DH yeah. first baseman. Yeah, type. you're not you're not getting rid of Brandon. Lau. You're going Brandon Lau is going to play. Maybe you could find right. a shortstop, but generally you're not finding big bats there. That's you know, right. That's a more defensive. So it's, it's going to be first base. I mean, you know, yeah. third base, you got between Yandy Diaz and Wendell and Duffy, you know, mm-hmm. when he comes back. It's going to be first base, and that's where G-Man Choice spot is going to be. You know, that's probably where you're going to look to upgrade a bat if you look for that. That's exactly right. So it'll be interesting to see, anyway, the big four-game series against the Yankees, and that begins tonight. Okay, I wanted to get we're, – we're so close now to the start of training camp in the NFL. That You'll see some teams that are playing in the Hall of Fame game. Some of the rookies will be coming in uh, this week. The you know the Buccaneers uh, will be next week early with the rookies, and then of course July twenty fifth, I believe, is uh, is the reporting. Ten day days, ten days for the Bucks. We're ten days away. God help me, I am and I am back full time uh, on it. So, but you know this, uh, what's been in the news is this idea that the NFL is now pushing again, and they they've this is this talk has gone on since I think around two thousand eleven, actually at different times. But the NFL would like to see them move to an 18-game schedule. Now, you know, the current collective bargaining agreement is set to expire after the 2020 season. There are already talks going on now with the hope of maybe having a a new agreement on a new CBA before the start of 2019. Wouldn't that be nice if they didn't go through another potential work stoppage and, you know, all the strife that goes with that? Uh, Because let's face it, it's a very, very profitable business. The, the players are benefiting from, from all these profits. They get 47% of the designated gross revenues. That's a pretty good cut. So they are indeed almost 50-50 partners. Uh, but, you know, this idea of an 18-game season, um, you know, on the one hand makes some sense because, you know, people are not happy with preseason football. We know, you know, you know in reality the first game, maybe the starters play a series um, the second game made a little more. The third game, you know, they play the most. And then the fourth game is a joke. And I can't believe they still charge, you know, actual, you know, season ticket prices for these games because they're exhibitions and, and they're not – it's not great football. It's like we're trying to watch, you know, the last three spots on the roster be decided. So uh, – but the big hook, of course, for the players would be that they – adding two additional games, they could gain as much as 25 billion dollars as a league in revenue and so you know when you think again about you know the the players being partners in this you're talking about adding maybe 15 million dollars to the salary cap for each team just the first year Um, and so you know the players are going to benefit from this obviously now the trade-off one of the things that they're they're talking about of course you know the league is supposed to be sensitive to injuries and and to ask an nfl player we already had what was it last year there were uh, roughly four thousand injuries in the nfl so and and you know a lot of those tend to occur later in the season so if you add an extra two games as you get 
you know, later into the season. What does that do? So the idea that the uh, the league is floating is, well, maybe each player has to designate two games that they do not play so that, that every player is actually still playing a 16-game, um, you know, personally still playing in 16 games at maximum, um, but the team would play 18. Uh, I don't know how that's going to fly. Um, you know, I can't, I can't fathom, you know, a Jameis Winston, you know, having to sit out an important game, you know, in late November or early December because, you know, he has to pick two games not to not play when they're in some kind of a race for the NFC South. I mean, it's going to be weird to actually see how, how that would actually go. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's also something that would probably lower, if you're a player, you'd, you'd worry about lowering your career expectancy. I mean, right now, I think the average career span is 3.3 years. Uh, they estimate that if you played 18 games, that would lower it to 2.8 years. So, you know, that that's certainly a, a factor. Um, so I, I don't know that the, that the players are going to, you know, give, give all this away. But, you know, the revenues are so high already in the NFL that they've added $10 million to the salary cap each year per team, which means that, you know, the league has gone up and up and up. I mean, it's up to 188 Point two million dollars is a salary cap this season, so that's a lot of money to play to pay players. It's a fifty six point eight percent increase since two thousand eleven. So they're already making plenty of money. But the problem that the league or the players feel like they're having is they've gotten the middle class kind of squeezed out. Sixty percent of the players in the NFL are on minimum contracts, meaning they're mm-hmm. you know slotted slotted to make just the league minimum. Where you know the, a lot of money is going to the big stars, of course, that that re-sign, but they have to get to what a fourth year to become an unrestricted free agent, or if you're a first-round draft pick, they can you know give you a fifth-year option, and you might not be an unrestricted free agent until after five seasons. So, you know, again, more games, more injuries, shorter career. Do you get to free agency? Do you get the big money individually? The rosters are going to have to expand because you can't. Well, that's the thing you know, to me. So, okay, you're going to add $15 million to the salary cap per team. But how many right. extra players? I mean, you're going to have to sit six to eight players a week. Uh, every week, yep. So you're going to have to expand the rosters. That $15 million isn't going to the players currently playing. It's going to go no. to new players. So if I'm a current that's player, right. what's that do for me? It actually brings more competition in, in the locker room that they could replace well, it, me with. It it does, and yet you know if you're if you're a union member, you're supposed to say to yourself, well, that's good because that means more jobs and that means more mm-hmm. players get to play in the NFL. Now, selfishly, I'm with you. I'm like, well, wait a minute, um, you know how much of that is actually going to reach my pocket versus you know them going out and just you know expanding the rosters because it. I'm telling you right now, when you get to October, November, these teams can't even get enough guys to practice. Sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, I have seen walkthroughs on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Because you don't have 22 healthy bodies, um, you know, on each side of the ball. And you got, you know, guys just trying to get ready to, you know, just trying to heal up in time for Sunday's game. So the idea, you know, I know you have a practice squad. So, you know, you got a maximum of 61 people available to you each week. But, you know, if you take the specialists out of it, right, which is, you know, the long snapper, the punter, and the kicker, that's three players. Then you take the extra quarterbacks out of it because they're not going to take any snaps. So that's five players. Well, except for two games, okay. uh, two games a year, they're going to have to take snaps. Well, they're going to now. They're going to have to take snaps. But I'm saying, like, just to practice, you know, like yep. every week. Right. All right. So if you got a 53, if you got a 61 man roster, and I'm just taking six guys out of it, so now, you know, I'm down to you know 50 something players. Now I've got maybe eight to ten guys that can't practice this week. 
because I got various ailments. Maybe I got a couple guys on IR. I mean, it's, you're going to have to expand those rosters significantly. So, yeah, I think most of the money or a good portion of the money will go, again, to guys making minimum minimum salaries. Um, so, you know, what do they ask for in return? Because you know the players are going to want this money. It's sort of like, to me, it's a little bit like Thursday night football. Um, you know, there's this notion that everybody thinks, well, you know, it's it's unsafe, right? Like, how can you ask these guys to play on Sunday and then play again on Thursday? You know, not practice. They barely are healed up from their wounds on Sunday. And then they're playing, you know, four days later. And even though, you know, they're – there's no data, I guess, as far as the league is concerned, that shows that they're more likely to be injured on those Thursday night games. Now, the argument is maybe it's cumulative, right? Maybe you don't see that injury until November or December of that year. But the amount of money that each player makes as a result of Thursday night football package, they're not going to give that up either because I think it's like, you know, at, at minimum it's like $150,000, $250,000 per player. And, and players will tell you they like Thursday night games from this standpoint. You don't practice all week. You just come in. You do the mm-hmm. glorified walkthroughs. There's no hitting. And you get a long just, weekend afterwards. And when you're done playing, it's an extra bye week. Yeah, it's like you don't – you come back. You watch – you know, you might watch the film on Friday. You're off Saturday, Sunday. Um, if you do anything on Monday, it's just to come in and lift weights and make sure you're okay. And then you're off Tuesday, and then you practice again on Wednesday. So you get this break, you know, as a result of Thursday night football. So, you know, while everybody complains about it, the money and and sort of the mini break that they get um, physically and mentally, I think, is something that the players will you know will continue to want to do. You're never going to get. I don't think you're going to see them get rid of Thursday night football again because NBC and the networks are paying and 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 you know the profits are so high and they're and they're they're partners in this business. They're almost fifty fifty partners. Mm-hmm. So I I I think that in time you will see an eighteen game schedule. I don't know if it'll be you know, in this next CBA, but they'll take a hard look at it. I, I know the players are going to resist it for, for a number of reasons, but. Well, one other thing be, with the, if, if you've got to sit two games. Yeah. Does it get to the point where Mike Evans says, well, I'm not playing this week. Jameis isn't. Sure. I, I, I need my stats or, or a quarterback's going, I'm not playing when the left tackle's out. Sure. I mean, you know, you start getting that. You know, well, do you want to play disgruntled employees because you know? Yeah, what, do you want to play Donovan? I mean, if you're going to play Jameis Winston when Donovan Smith has to sit, mm-hmm. well, that, that one may be more obvious, but it's you know, it's going no, to be the, a good the receiver that doesn't want to play because the, the backup quarterback's in, or because I'm trying right. to get my thousand yards for the season, or the catches, and, and not that every football player is that way. I'm not saying that, or Mike Evans is specifically, but just you know, a general. You know, Peyton Barber going, no, I'm not rushing today. Well, here, you got two of my offensive else. linemen out. I'm, I'm not playing today. And I want this here's to be something. my bye week. And then now you got politicking and everything else with it. Yeah, here's something else. The season ticket holders, do you think they're going to give these games away for free? Or are they going to charge them the same thing they charge now, you know, with 10 mm-hmm. home games? Maybe. They charge full price now, right? So you're talking about adding. Well, and you've you had know, this in the NBA where, you know, the, the stars sit games. The stars aren't playing. And, and the fans that's get right. upset. I paid for this ticket. And I expect to see LeBron right. James or Kevin Durant. That's or, right. And what are you going to do when you find out on Thursday that Jameis Winston is not playing against Jacksonville, you mm-hmm. know, and you, you plan on going and watching your buddy, you know, watching your favorite player. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different, you know, things that, that will occur from this. I just think it's going to be very difficult just from a functional standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, players and GMs and, you know, front offices have enough trouble, believe me, 
trying to get 61 guys, the best 61 guys every week to be available. Yep. Right, the best ability is availability. I mean, you've got PUP and you've got reserve PUP and you've got all these different, you know, IR uh, designated for return. You have all these different things, and and you're trying to to practice and you're trying mm-hmm. to prepare, and, and to think that you're going to have a roster where each guy has to miss two games and try to navigate that through a yep. through a regular season schedule. Um, with travel, with with injuries, and all these things, even if you expand the roster, I think it's going to be a big damn headache. Now, the one and good be, thing, the one good thing can be is if every player is sitting two games, you don't need bye weeks for your team anymore. So, as a fan, your team can play every week. Oh, I think they'd have to. Yeah, and I so because you know, I don't think you have enough weeks in the fall to play the whole season because well, yeah. you don't want to. You can't play the Super Bowl. What are you going to play in the end of February? Right. You're already into February right. as it is. But as a fan, the good thing is is your team's going to play every week. You don't have to sit there going, oh, it's two weeks till we play again. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it would probably probably do away with a bye week. I don't I don't know for sure, but it, it's it's an interesting proposal, and I mean I think it is born of greed, and <laughs> they know with the with it usually the, is, uh, you know, the broadcast revenues coming up. I mean, if I can sell, you know, two more games to all these networks, they're going to have to pay. You well, know, and, and not only that, but I can sell out my suites for a home game. I don't sell them out mm-hmm. for preseason games. That's correct. You know, from That's tickets correct. to, you know, everything. Merchandise, that, yeah, every yeah, game, yeah. parking, revenues. Yeah, all that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have two more. You have at least one more home game, right? Yeah, one more so, regular season game, not a, not a preseason. Not, yeah. a, not, a, not a fourth preseason. I mean, you never want to host that dreaded fourth preseason game, right? No one's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the, Even the season ticket holders give those away to their friends that don't, you know, don't come to games so they can experience, you know, NFL football, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it will turn out, but it's an interesting proposal that that I, I just think that the money's going to win out. They're going to figure out a way to do this, and we're going to have 18 games. But uh, I'm not for it. <laughs> I think 16 is enough. I mean, I can remember when they. I mean, I can remember when they played 14 games and had six preseason, which was ridiculous. Um, but the notion of 18, uh, I, I don't know how you. If you're a union, I don't know how you can preach, you know, safety. And I know Goodell, Roger Goodell is going around talking about how safe they've tried to make the game and the hits they've tried, concussions and all this they've tried to take out of it. That's fine. But the normal wear and tear of football uh, is enough to, to keep these guys' careers pretty short. And, you know, when you have a, a union that's based on, you know, free agency not attaining that until you're in the league four years and the average player lasts 3.8, that's not, you know, that's not a recipe for wealth. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to mention that uh, uh, did you catch? I mean, it was five hours of this, right? I, I turned this thing on in the morning. Uh, the Wimbledon men's final: Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, who who have played you know a number of times, obviously throughout their careers. In fact, uh, the last uh, two times they played at Wimbledon, um, you know, Djokovic won. But it was uh, it was a match for the ages. I mean, first of all, Federer is thirty eight years old. Uh, Djokovic is is he's thirty two, so he's he's not mm-hmm. that far behind him. But six years is six years, and this thing went almost five hours. And I mean the the level of tennis it was, and I love tennis, and I don't know why you know it, it had sort of a heyday I think in the eighties in the United States, but it's sort of fallen off. Um, but it but was this is thrilling. the best era of tennis. It is. I mean, it really is. You've got Federer, Djokovic, mm-hmm. and Nadal. And at all. 54 mm-hmm. Grand Slam titles between them. Yeah. I mean, to have three players that 
It's incredible. You could argue are the three greatest men's tennis players of all ever. time. Yeah. Are right now playing now, and, and they're starting to age a little bit, and they won't be around too much longer. You, know, you assume Federer will retire soon, but I mean, mm-hmm. and, and then you look at the women's side, Serena's the greatest women's player of all time. Sure. I mean, this is, and maybe not in the U.S., it, it's not at that level, but as far as but just worldwide. the sport, sport wise, this is the best era of tennis maybe ever. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, Federer has, uh, what, like 20 titles. Now Djokovic mm-hmm. has, has 16. 16, and Nadal has 18. Nadal is 18. So. Yeah, three guys all back. It'd be, be like having, you know, Tiger, uh, you know, uh, Jack Nicholas and, and Arnold Palmer. Whoever, <laughs> Arnold Palmer playing together, you know, and they're all the same age, right? Or roughly the same age. But, you know, the idea of a tennis player, I mean, a few years ago, the idea of a tennis player playing into his 30s was unheard of, you know? And, of course, for that matter, the idea of a football player playing into his 40s was really unheard of. And we got Tom <laughs> Brady, you know, slinging it until he's going to be about 50. So. We might see our first 50-year-old quarterback here soon. Um, so, you know, th- from that standpoint, I mean, tremendous. These guys are in tremendous shape. It was a tremendous match. I felt, uh, you know, the crowd was obviously behind Federer. I mean, he's a, he's a Wimbledon favorite. He he's certainly has been a champion there many, many times. And, and you know, he's, he's a class act. Um, I, I think people generally in, enjoy his demeanor. And, and, and he's been terrific through all these years. And so the crowd was on his side. And I think that annoys uh, Djokovic, because I think he feels like he's never been sort of beloved that way, uh, even though you know he has he is approaching now just four uh, major titles behind Federer for the for the most of all time, and he has made no no secret about the fact that he wants to finish his career as you know the guy that won the most major titles. So he's coming after history. Um, but but Federer had he had a, he 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 had a double match point and was serving and could not close it out and in the fifth and final set and that had to weigh on him a little bit um but they they went is the first time they've ever gone to a tiebreaker at 12 12 i mean it used to be you just that fifth set you can play forever and they've seen Mm -hmm. matches go into the 20s but they decided this year um for the first time that uh if they got to a fifth set tiebreaker in the men's tennis they're gonna you know 12 12 they're gonna play a tiebreaker rather than go ahead and keep playing because you had these marathon matches that you know would be like 2018. It would screw up the Wimbledon schedule, and and there's a safety concern about whether you know it's good tennis and whether players are more susceptible to injuries and what it does for their next matches and that sort of thing. So I think it was a good idea, but um, the problem is is that Federer cannot beat Djokovic in a tiebreaker. I mean, all three sets that Djokovic won were were tiebreakers, and you know for whatever reason, at one point even Federer had in the, in the first tiebreaker they played, he had a five three lead and still wasn't able to close it out. So, but it was it was scintillating tennis. I don't know, you know, Rogers 38. I don't know that he'll have a chance, a better chance of winning Wimbledon cuz obviously he's going to have to get by um, you know, by Novak but uh and others, but uh, it was you know, for one day, I know Twitter was uh, was a buzz. But I couldn't I wasted, if you want to say wasted. I mean, I spent 5 hours basically of my day in front watching, you know, watching men's tennis. I haven't done that in years. I do have one question, though, for you, Steve. How is it that tennis can use a machine and has been using a machine to determine if a ball is hit even so much as one hair off the line, Mm -hmm. right? But football needs two old men with poles and a chain just to determine a freaking first down. You saw the same tweet I saw How is that possible? (laughs) It's awesome, right? It was this guy named Will Brinson, I think his name was, that tweeted this. And I thought, "This this is absolutely everything that's wrong with the NFL, right? 
is that we're talking about replay and you know calling and challenge flags and all this stuff. You, you can't even. I mean, they can't even determine if a ball crosses the line of scrimmage. You know whether it crosses the goal line or not. You know, um, there should be technology that, sh- and not just camera technology, but like actual. You know, this is this is a, a a symmetrical field. You know, with lines and yard markers and things. And they are they're bringing poles from the sideline. I thought it was a brilliant tweet. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I don't know if you saw over the Atlanta. weekend or after the All Star break. Now the Atlantic League. In I baseball, did. an independent league, which is where they, they actually will experiment with a lot of rules, had their first robo-umps. Yeah. Where the ump was behind the catcher, but he's got AirPods in, and the computer's telling mm-hmm. him whether it's a ball or a strike, and then he calls you it out. You know that's coming. You know that's coming, right? Mm-hmm. You nope. know that's coming. Did you saw the other thing that happened in the Atlantic League? The first steal of first base in baseball ever. <laughs> that um, That's a weird one. Explain that one to so me. So there's a rule that you can, the <laughs> batter can choose to steal first base on any pitch not caught by the catcher. So if, wow. if they throw a wild pitch and there's nobody on base, you can steal first if you want. Take first. It's your choice. Take now, your base. you know, if you don't go, you you know, it's just a strike or a ball or whatever it was. He but, can throw you out, though. Yeah, right? but you can try to you can try to steal. Yeah, they can throw you out, but if you don't make mm-hmm. a move for it, they can't throw you out. It's not like you know, purposely let a wild pitch go by to get them out. Right. But yeah, it was the first steal in that league, the first base, which will lead to judgments calls. Like he flinched, he made a move towards first. You know, I know I didn't. But yeah, that's that's changing the game a little too much for me. But I think that the umpire thing is coming. Um, you know, you can put that box up there and see whether that ball, much like tennis, you know, is in the strike zone yeah. or not. Now we can argue whether those, you know, those boxes are set up for every hitter or not, and you know, strike zones right. vary. And well, one thing, one thing accurate. about the stealing first, though, you got to think twice about throwing behind a guy. <laughs> that's right. Take the bean ball away. The ball gets sure. away from the catcher, and you know you may, you may end up on first, not just strike one or ball one. That's right. That's right. So you got to hit flesh. But if you're going to throw at him, you're pretty much saying I'm willing to willing for him to go down to first anyway. Well, but I mean, sometimes but, you you throw a pitch just to send yeah, a message. It's a you're, not, pitch. you're not actually yeah. trying to hit. You're trying to. That's true. You throw it behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It would, I mean, again, catching is, is is hard enough. I I can't imagine putting more pressure on those guys that now now all of a sudden they're going to try steal first on you <laughs> on a regular pitch. It's just weird to me, but we'll see. I mean, that's it's a good southern. It's good good place to to try to uh, experiment with things like that. But I actually think that the umpire, the strike zone thing, is coming. Now, I, uh, I wonder I just, if if you argue with the umpire over the strike, does he does the does the computer hear through the AirPods? I mean, he's got AirPods in, so you can talk into him. <laughs> Does it relay right. back so the computer can respond, or how's that work? I don't know. The computer throws you out. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the guy's obviously there to manage something, probably the, the comportment of the player. Can you challenge that the strike was actually a strike, you know, and then it becomes like tennis where here comes the ball, and does it yeah. nip the strike zone? Or I, I'm guessing you know. in the Atlantic League, no, because they probably don't have the technology or even the replays of that kind of stuff. But yeah, by the time it gets to Major League Baseball, who knows? Yeah. Although there's no. so much in Major League Baseball that you can't review, which yeah irks me. But if you're if mm-hmm. you if the goal of review is to get things right, then everything should be reviewable. Which and, and for the record, I'm against replay. I want less of it. But but yeah. if you're saying your goal is to get everything right, then why are things not reviewable? Well, that's the old NFL argument because games are going to last. The reason why is games wow. will last four and a half hours or five hours. And and I I know I know exactly what you're saying. And it's gotten that way. You know what about the holding call? you know, that prevented a sack on third down where the guy threw a touchdown pass. You know, is, right. that, is that not a big play? Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I well, get like in all baseball, there's certain play. You know, you can't ju- you can't replay fair or foul down the line of whatever. You know, it's, it's protecting the umpires more than anything. And you're like, if the goal is to get it right, then if it should be everything should be reviewable. Yeah, but well, I mean, the guys do a pretty good job in baseball. I think overall, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm amazed at how many times a replay actually, you know, uh, substantiates their call. Usually, there was one today. <laughs> there was one in the Red Sox game though. Like, in real time, man, there was a ground ball, and this dude was across the back, and the first base umpire, yeah, he's out, you know? And I'm like, what? And the whole Red Sox bench was like, wait a minute, we're, we're looking at that. And I'm telling you, the guy was a step past the bag when the, when the first baseman caught the ball that he called him out on. And, of course, it was reviewed, and it was overturning. He was ruled safe. But I'm thinking, man, well, you got one job. How did you blow well, that, you know? Speaking of perfect games broken up in the ninth inning, if you remember oh. – a few years yeah. ago, um, was Detroit, it Andres right? Galarraga, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that call at first base was egregious. That gave him a hit. I think that was two outs in the ninth, too. That was the final out. Was that Jim Joyce, I think? Was that who the umpire was? Um, it might have been. It might have been. And he was very apologetic, and it, yep. was, it was almost, you know, and they, 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 the pitcher was cool with it, and they sort of, like, everybody kind of felt bad for him. But, yeah, that was, that was brutal. I mean, I, yeah, speaking of perfect games. So, see, we did that. We did that nice little segue. We come back yeah. to where we started. That's why this podcast is so darn good. You guys got to listen all the time. So, we got the uh, Yankees, of course, uh, beginning the series of Rays at the Yankees, a big series that will determine maybe the future of, of what the Rays do in, in trying to acquire another, other players or who knows. Blake hey, Snell on there. the mound trying to go longer yeah. than he did the last time against the Yankees, one-third of an inning. <laughs> That's right. You know, traditionally he's pitched pretty well in New York. I think his mm-hmm. first start was up there, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. But he's uh, he seems to have settled down at least yeah. at the end of the first half. So. And the good thing is they will not see Tanaka. He pitched uh, this evening for Boston. Or, uh, or uh, sorry, he pitched Sunday for the Yankees. So mm-hmm. uh, they will not see him. And he's been uh, he, they have the Rays have not Lights been out. able to hit him this year. So that's a good sign. Yeah, no, that is a very good sign because they they cannot. Cannot do anything with him. But we got a good week of uh, shows coming up. Tom Jones going to join us. Might have Chris Torello one day. We'll have your mailbag questions. You don't have to wait to send your mailbag questions in. You can do that anytime you want to, but you can always do it on Twitter at SportsStateTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Okay, so for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 